I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. The New Testament letter of 1 Peter, as we begin our study, tracing the rainbow through the rain, hope for the hurting. It is vitally important as we walk through the Word of God together that you have it in front of you, that you're able to see what God has said. What I say is irrelevant, but what God has to say is eternally relevant. So make sure you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. We are going to begin our study in 1 Peter, tracing the rainbow through the rain. It is no secret to any of us that we are living in some tense and troubling times. We face political uncertainty. We face moral insanity. We face economic hardship and all out assault against God's word, God's truth, and God's people. And what the children of God in 1 Peter needed is what you and I need today, hope. It has been said man can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. The book of Peter is a book of hope. Now, as we study the Word of God together, there are three keys to rightly dividing the Word of Truth. The first key is context. The second key is context. The third key, you guessed it, is context. It is vitally important if we're going to fully appreciate, understand, and be able to apply God's Word that we understand why it was written, to whom it was written, and who is writing it. All of that is involved in understanding our context. What we're going to do in our first session together is establish the context of First Peter. We're going to be focusing on those three things. Who is writing? To whom is he writing? And most important for us, why he is writing. If you will look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, two of those three elements are easily identified for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter, at the very beginning of this letter, tells us that he, the apostle, is writing to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. So we have, very simply, who is writing and to whom is he writing. But we're going to focus more of our attention in this session on why he is writing. Why did Peter sit down and pen this precious epistle? What was going on in the lives of these believers that required a word from the apostle? So 1 Peter chapter 1, let's focus on the context. What precipitates this precious letter? In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by, listen to this phrase, various trials. The word Peter uses for trials is the Greek word pyrosmois. It is where we get our English word pyromania. 
What is a pyromaniac? A pyromaniac is someone who is obsessed with fire. So these believers weren't just experiencing trials, they were experiencing fiery trials. They were in the midst of an all-out assault against them. Peter goes on to tell us in chapter 2, verse 19, For this finds favor, and for the sake of a conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. There's that word suffering again. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. These believers were not suffering because they were doing what was wrong. They were suffering, Peter says, because they were doing what was right. Peter continues this explanation or purpose behind the letter in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. In chapter 3, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should, and here's the word again, suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. So Peter starts by telling us they're experiencing various trials, fiery trials. Then he tells us that they are experiencing these trials, this suffering for doing what is right. Then he goes on to tell us again in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. These believers were suffering. They were suffering for doing what was right. In chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, For the sake of righteousness. So they were suffering, not for doing the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. They were suffering because they had dared identify with Jesus Christ and seek right standing with God. In chapter 4, verse 12, he again refers to those fiery trials. We continue in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, they were suffering not for doing what was wrong, but for doing what was right. They were suffering because they had a deep obsession to have right standing with God. Now we find out they were suffering simply because they dared to identify with Christ. They were suffering simply because they were Christians. And then in chapter 5, verse 9, But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. These believers were suffering. They were under intense persecution because they had dared seek right standing with God and dared name the name of Christ. They were hurting. And Peter seeks to offer these precious saints hope in the midst of this suffering. But where can this hope be found? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked the question. Let's look at the letter. Peter is going to tell us these believers were suffering. More than that, they were suffering intensely. But why were they suffering? What were they facing? 
Well, Peter is writing his letter in or around 64 AD. Nero's persecution was at its worst. He had made it his personal task to exterminate Christianity from the face of the earth. And these believers were suffering as a result of it. Now try to put yourself for a moment in their shoes. What were they experiencing? What did this suffering cause? Well, first, there was joblessness. If they were tradesmen, if they had a particular skill, no one would hire them lest they be considered sympathizers of this newfound faith. Employers were terminating employees because nobody wanted their company to be associated with these newfound believers. So there was joblessness. There was homelessness. Nero was confiscating property. And so these people were kicked out on the streets. No blankets, no clothes, no bed. So they were experiencing joblessness. They were experiencing homelessness. They were experiencing hunger. If you don't have a job, there's no means of income. If you have no means of income, you have no way to buy food. If you have no way to buy food, you go hungry. Imagine for a moment some precious Christian mother shivering in the corner of some alley, holding in her arms that precious child, that gift from God, and watching that child die of starvation because that Christian mom, that Christian dad could not afford food to feed them. That is what these suffering saints were enduring. Not only that, but every time they passed a Roman guard on the streets, they could not help but pause and wonder, is that Roman guard coming for me? Because Christians were being hauled off to the Colosseum to become fodder for the lions at the pleasure of the Greeks. Perhaps most heinous of all, Nero's favorite form of persecution was to roll believers in wax, impale them on stakes, and use them as candles to light his rose garden at night. That is what these first century saints were experiencing. It is extremely difficult for us to look at the letter of 1 Peter from a sterile, sterile analytical point of reference. When we fully understand what these precious saints were enduring. Joblessness, homelessness, hunger, severe persecution. That's the kind of suffering these believers were enduring. And why? Because they dared to identify themselves as followers of Christ and seek to live a life that honored Him. That was their suffering. And Peter is seeking to encourage these suffering saints. How does he do that? By offering them hope. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is not using the word the way that you and I think of hope. We tend to use hope as wishful thinking. 
I hope so, means I'm not sure if this will actually occur, but I really do want it to occur. So I hope so. The Bible does not use hope as wishful thinking. In the Bible, hope is a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. And so Peter is writing to these suffering saints, and he seeks to offer them hope. Look back at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a, here it is, living hope. Their hope is not dead. Their hope is living. A bedrock guarantee rooted uh, of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. They have a living hope. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober for this in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God. Peter offers these suffering saints hope. And how does he offer them hope? By pointing them to grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Chapter 1, verse 21. Peter says again, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope, a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event, your hope is in God. Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone, here it is, for the hope that is within you. These believers were experiencing hellish suffering. And Peter seeks to encourage them by offering them hope in the midst of their suffering. But where can this hope be found? Well, Peter says there is a very definite place where they could find hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, again. Hope you're picking up the theme. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There it is. Their hope is not dead. Their hope is living. That hope, a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. But where is that hope found? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and, here it is, the glories to follow. Peter says that the suffering of Christ, the past event, has made the glories to follow a future inheritance available. In chapter 1, verses 17, 18, and 19, if you address this Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your fathers, but with precious blood 
as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Future inheritance rooted in a past event, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. In chapter 2, verse 21, Peter writes, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Hope in the midst of their suffering is found in the suffering of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore I exalt, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter offers hope in the midst of their suffering by pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them. Now, how does the suffering of Christ provide hope for those of us who are suffering? We move out of a first century world into this modern day where we're experiencing political insanity, moral insanity, economic uncertainty, and hardship, assault against the people of God. Where can we find the hope? We find hope in the fact that the suffering of Jesus Christ has made two things available to us. First, the suffering of Christ makes available to every one of us salvation here. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be, here it is, born again. Born again. Born from above. Born anew. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are born again. That is salvation. When we repent of our sin, that is turn away from our rebellion against God, place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross, we are made brand new. We are new creations. There is a brand new you inside the same old you. Look at chapter uh, verse 10 of chapter 1. As to this salvation, the Greek word is sotaria. It means to rescue, to deliver. We are rescued from our sin and made new in Jesus Christ. We continue looking in 1 Peter at chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We, through the suffering of Christ, are able to experience salvation here. We have been rescued. We have been delivered. We have been born from above. We have been made brand new through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the first thing the suffering of Christ makes available to every single one of us is salvation here. 
but the suffering of Christ also makes available to every one of us heaven hereafter. Back to chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We said uh, earlier in this session that when the Bible uses the word hope, it is not wishful thinking. It is a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where is that living hope, that inheritance located? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Later in one of our sessions, we're going to talk about what that means to have our reservation. You have a reservation in heaven. That means it is exclusive to you. It is separate for you. It is being saved for you in heaven. Verse 11 seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ here it is and the glories to follow in chapter 4 verse 13 but to the degree, degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation chapter 5 verse 1 Peter continues this idea therefore I exhort exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker that's the key word also of the glory that is to be revealed these future glories we're not spectators Peter says we are participants we are actively involved in this glory. We continue in chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you and that gives us the foundation for this precious letter peter is seeking to encourage these believers in the midst of their incredible suffering by pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them namely salvation here and heaven hereafter what Jesus has done for them, he has done for every single one of us. We can experience salvation here, and we can live with the hope of heaven hereafter. We do live in a hurting world. Everything in our world that seems uh, to be nailed down is coming loose. The wind is roaring. The rain is falling and yet in the midst of it all we can rest in the knowledge 
that there is a future and a hope because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's encouragement. Would you join me as we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful that in the midst of the storms we face, we stand on a rock that will not waver when the wind blows. Jesus, our rock. And we can live every day with a wonderful reminder that this world is not our home. We are just a passing through. And there is reserved for us in heaven a future glory because of our identification with Jesus Christ. For that, Father, we're grateful. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next session.